to Season 3 of the Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mack. Here at the Casting Light Podcast, we talk about lighting, the people that do it, and how they do what they do. You can find us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Twitter at Podcasting Light, and on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. So I drive an hour a day to get home. Where do you live? I live up in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Or I should say I'm renting in Ridgefield, Connecticut right now. Because nobody actually buys in Ridgefield. It's like Tuscany. Um, it's just like Tuscany. <laughs> so, so I've heard. Yeah. I think the only person who could afford to live in Ridgefield is Richard Pilbrow. Does so, he live there? He's been there for years. I mean, he, he had an office, a TPC office in Ridgefield when they first all opened. We moved here from Texas about a year and a half ago. Before that, I was working for Phillips. I was working for Strand and Silicon. Had moved to Texas in 2010. Brad Schiller and myself both worked for Phillips. Um, I ran the Strand Silicon side of things. Brad ran the Showline and Verilite side of things. Brad and I, I mean, we text, talk, email, um, see each other at least, you know, a couple times a week because we're friends. You know, as much as we're at different companies, we're friends. And I think that's important. I think that's important to keep. And it's also important to keep you fresh and fresh ideas and that sort of thing in terms of being creative um, and bouncing ideas off of each other and knowing that you're talking as friends and not talking as sometimes competitors. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, Brad had given me a list of four more people I should talk to you and you were one of them. At the time, you know, I hadn't, I wasn't really aware of you. I hadn't really heard about you. And then in sort of doing research, I was like, wow, so you've been, you've essentially been everywhere, but you've been in all different parts of the lighting business and you've, you've been an educator You've been sales, you've been management, you've been product dude. Lighting right. consultant as well. Oh, for, light, I'm sorry, yeah. yes, I wrote, yeah. that, wrote that down, lighting <laughs> consultant. I, my hand was in the way of the, of, the, of the note. Yes, so here you are. And I love it. I mean, every aspect of lighting, there's never been an aspect that I've worked on that I went, oh, this is terrible. It's always something different, something new. You know, as your life changes, so, 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 do, the, so do your needs. Um, you know, this, this, it's, it's, it's amazing too, how the whole thing started. I mean, my, I had very, very, um, supportive parents. Both of my parents are educators. My youngest sister is an educator. My brother's in business. My, my, my sister's in the medical field. So I'm the, I'm the odd duck out. I grew up in a little town outside of Greenwich, Connecticut called Byram. Roscoe is right down the street. I rode my bicycle to Roscoe to get gel. Wow. Um, I actually rode my bicycle to Roscoe to buy casein paint. You know, we used to get a lot of off-run stuff and that sort of thing for, from them. Um, the receiving guys knew me at the back door because I could <laughs> go to the back door and they, the, I'm like, do you have any R80? I keep burning through this stuff. And they'd bring some gel remnant or what have you and you'd use it. Or you'd learn how to make stained glass windows and all this fun stuff with it. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was really, it was, it was a great place to grow up. Purchase was right down the street. Um, we were, you know, 40 minutes outside of Manhattan. I wanted to play with lights when I was a, when I was in high school. The, How did you figure that out? That's a really hard question. It, it don't, I think it chose me because there was I was a freshman. I was 13 years old. I was going to a, going to high school in Greenwich. Um, the school was putting on a a fundraiser, and everybody wanted to be a part of this the fashion show side of the fundraiser. They all wanted to you know don nice clothing and that sort of thing and one of my friends and myself said no we don't want to do that they said well then you'll be with the lighting crew 
and they pointed to a pile of Lecos in the corner, a couple Fresnels in the corner. Not that you knew that that's what they were called at the time. No, no, I knew nothing about it. All I knew, well, because I remember actually calling the rental shop, calling them six times nines. And I said, what does the times mean? I don't understand. <laughs> and um, I actually um, I actually remember taking the, there's a, there's a little six-way TTI dimmer pack. I believe it was a TTI. And I remember lugging it with, with, with one of my friends up to the stage, and we put it in front of what, what then was a 60-amp company switch. No tails, nothing. And I remember opening it up going, okay, we got to figure this out. We had rented tails. We had done all of this stuff and literally figured out how to hook up power. Um, anybody who's listening, I highly don't recommend doing that. Um, we had we had read up onto how to do it. We were 13. We were not very smart about it. Um, but we hooked the whole thing up. We, we tied in. The janitor then went and turned on power for us. We powered up the demo rack and everything worked beautifully. And then I got a detention. So I got the detention for hooking up the dimmer rack, which nobody should ever do if they don't know what they're doing or they're tra- not trained in doing it. Uh, anyway, um, put lights in the air, started to play a little bit, um, used the basketball coach's chalkboard as my light plot <laughs> and um, started to lay things out and started to figure out and be able to calculate, um, well, if I have this fixture at this distance, I get about this much light. Now, about this much light had nothing to do with foot candles or anything like that. It had to do with my friend standing there in the light going, oh, I could see you there, but I can't see you there. So um, we, we played. We um, also found that all the instruments that we had rented were a lot brighter than the instruments that were sitting in the pile in the corner. Mm-hmm. So we took all of those instruments, we field stripped all of them, we cleaned all of them and put them all back together wrong. Oh. <laughs> And then we figured out very slowly that, hey, there are guys that manufacture these things and they could probably help us. So we found and we got some, we made some calls and got some schematics and eventually were able to put everything back together the way it should with spacers in the right places and all that fun stuff. And, you know, from there, you know, lit a lot of stuff in, a lot of stuff in high school, um, was ready to apply to college and had no idea what I wanted to do. And lo and behold, somehow my parents knew Michael Scoville. They set up an appointment with me to come into to come into the city to visit with Michael. Uh, he was on Lend Me a Tenor at the Royale at that time. So I went in, I visited Michael. Um, he showed me around backstage, showed me what it was about, showed me what his job was. After a number of times of coming to visit him, because every time I left, he said, come back another time. I want to talk with you some more. So he, I would, I'd come back whenever I, had, whenever I was available. It was an easy train ride in. Um, come to see him generally for an evening performance. And before I knew it, he handed me to the manual to the Strand Mini Palette. Said, go through this and tell me what you think. And I remember reading the, the Strand Mini Palette manual cover to cover. Going, man, who wrote this? This is terrible. Uh-oh. And it was because, of course, some you know, an, a, an engineer had written the had written the manual based upon keystrokes and that sort of thing, not taking into account that the person sitting behind the the desk now actually needed to follow those keystrokes, but understand what the outcome was going to be. I wasn't smart enough to know that yet. What I was smart enough to know, what I what I knew was this is really difficult to follow. This is really difficult to 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 figure out. But anyway, before I knew it, I sat down behind the desk, I got to play, I got to do 
I, you know, I got, I got to, I got to run the show with him sitting behind me. Now this was, this was 85, 86. And, you know, he, Michael taught me a lot of things. He taught me why you're there. The fact that, you know, as the, as the, as the lighting person, um, you know, what you're looking for, what you're looking to do, what the designer is looking for when they're creating those looks why this is gelled the way this is gelled, why this fixture is used the way this fixture is used, um, all the way down to, you know, when to be quiet in theater. And that didn't mean just because a scene was going on. That meant because a director was talking. He taught me about collaboration. He taught me that nothing happens in theater with one person. And that went a long way. Um, that helped me make a choice of what, which college I wanted to go to. Um, I decided to go to a smaller university. I went to Providence College in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, that produced a lot of interesting people. Um, produced people like John O'Hurley, David Angel, um, produced uh, David Barber of Light, Lights and LSA. And uh, just really a, um, a university or college that fostered and encouraged you to try. And when, when you were there, well, who was running the program? What was it like? How was it structured? It was it was structured. It was it was interesting. It was a it was a BA program that had a BFA formality to it. So you're looking at you know you're getting something like ninety credits in in design technology, but the but the the degree was a BA in lighting design and technical direction. The people that came through were, were absolutely incredible. At that point, the program was run by, um, I believe it was John Garrity at that point. He's still, he's still there. He's still employed at the university and still runs the program, I believe. Um, but we had a lot of young designers there. Um, I had a designer, a technical director at that time, uh, Nancy Pontius, who is still teaching. I believe she's in Kansas now teaching. Um, she came up from Dallas and had, had, had run the technical theater side of things and really took me and a few others under their under her wing uh, to make sure that we had what we needed in order to go out into the world and we did a lot of freelancing she set up um, I mean the amount of summer stock that we did I mean we learned rotating rep ad nauseum when we went uh, she took us out to Miami University in Oxford Ohio to do uh, to do to learn rotating rep and what it takes and the preparation and she was really great at making sure um, you dotted the I's and crossed the T's making sure that you were prepped six ways to Sunday um, she was wonderful at teaching us not only how to be a crew member but how to be how to lead a crew and how to work with people because I think that's a big part of that's a huge part of theater is everybody being able to to work together to be collaborative to um, to recognize what's in front of them and as a team figure it out and work through it because it's not always you might get there it's not always what you have on on paper you you have to you know focus around this you have to change something whatever it might be and that's one of the things that they that they really taught you to deal to to work how how to work I see. Um, the, uh, so, I mean, just a really great education there. I was very close to Trinity Repertory Company, so I was able to see a lot of work at Trinity. Um, 
the I mean great spaces there um, able to do uh, able to do a lot of work they're able to do a lot of freelancing through college um, and then worked my way worked my way through and was about ready to graduate and lo and behold it was the Diamond Jubilee of the University and so there was a number of buildings on campus that they were looking for architects to come in and light and they were putting out a, they put out a huge bid statement of how they wanted things lit and what have you and um, the one of the heads of the theater department came up to me and said Pete you're a lighting designer you could light this built these buildings and you know for you know you're a you're you're 20 21 year old and you're being asked you're being asked to compete with some you know the Canon designs of the world some large architectural firms that were putting in bids well one night my roommate and myself who were trained in doing this here we were trained we repelled the building mm-hmm. and in repelling the building we brought about 50 inkies with us and we lit every facet of the building we had park hands on the on the bottom of the building we were backlighting uh, the crosses and we after about eight hours of putting fixtures on the building we ran out to the front parking lot and took pictures we took pictures long enough that the sun was starting to rise from behind the building and backlit the whole building beautifully Mm. we took the picture and we submitted it to the university and they said you guys are lighting these buildings it wasn't that easy, but it, of course it was. But the idea was was that we lit the building, and we said this is what it's going to look like. It wasn't it wasn't a sketch. It wasn't anything. It was we literally temped out lighting this whole building, and thank God then the university loaned us a condor in order to take all those inkies down. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent about a year after I graduated um, lighting lighting that and doing a lot of freelancing uh, through Boston doing a lot of freelancing, you know, in, in the Rhode Island area. Um, and really decided that I, I enjoyed being in a, in a university setting. Uh, there was something that was, that there was some great energy there. Um, I loved working with, as myself as a student, but also loved working with other students because of the, because of the energy. So, um, I, 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 after after finishing that project, I, I left Providence and I and I came back home. I came back to to, to Connecticut, and there was um, a job opening at a university in Garden City, New York, uh, in uh, Delphi University, which had um, you know a, a, a decent theater program, a, a design technology program, full BFA, um, had some great um, faculty members there and some really wonderful students. And I came down and I, and I applied for the lighting design position, which was a part-time position because I still wanted to freelance. Mm-hmm. So um, I came down, I got that, and they said, oh, do you also want to be the technical director? I said, well, sure. You know, so, you know, kind of first real job out of college where benefits are being paid and what have you, but part of my contract was that I could still freelance. So... You know, started doing shows. No, for, and what kind of freelancing were you doing? I was doing a lot of one-offs. I was doing a lot of one-offs. I recognized that there's a lot of money in one-offs, um, and I had college loans to pay, and I had the little Sally Mae ticket book that kept reminding me that it had to be paid every month. Mm-hmm. 
So I um, started doing um, a lot of stuff at the Waldorf. Um, I'd hooked into a, a commercial real estate company who uh, every two or three months did a large uh, outing in different places in the country. Um, they did usually did two or three in the city a year. So I became their guy. And, you know, when you become somebody's guy, it's, you know, you end up doing everything for them. You know, it's not just, you're not just lighting it, you're doing scenery and what have you. And their first big outing, uh, they were, they rented out, uh, the majority of the Waldorf Astoria, the Jade, the Basilton, the Aster, the Starlight, the main ballroom, um, the lobby areas, they'd rented everything out for almost a week's time. That's and, cool. and they were, it was awesome. It was awesome. And the, uh, the they had a ribbon cutting ceremony that it, to a technology show that they were doing. It was the unveiling of the first affordable digital camera that Apple had. Wow! And it was it was just under a thousand bucks, and I think it was like point zero two megapixels. I mean, they weren't measured in that back then. It was it was this big. I mean, this thing was it was it was amazing to me that somebody took a picture and then all of a sudden they had. You know, took a, took yeah. a, you know, um, and they they had they had unveiled that they had unveiled a few other key pieces of te- technology. Um, at that point, uh, we were using. I mean, we were using a bunch of high end stuff, lots of cyber lights, lots of lots of I beams, uh, lots of custom gobos. And um, one of the things that the head of this company wanted was they wanted fog rolling down the main set of stairs at the at the at the Waldorf, well, the deal is, you know, it's a huge fire hazard. Um, and the LSG did not exist back yeah, then. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. The LSG was a few decades away. Yep. And so um, we were we contracted the fire department, and they put people on fire watch, and we were able to do this one opening with uh, all this great fog rolling down the stairs with, um, at that time, it they had hired Mayor former mayor Koch to come do the um come do the laser cutting ceremony because there was a there was a basically a, a simple laser going across the thing that he was supposed to cut and everybody <laughs> you know and everybody goes hurrah while you're sitting there and you're hitting go on your console to show them that yeah look he cut that laser look at all the neat stuff it did when it actually as we know did nothing um but did a lot of freelancing like that. Uh, did a lot of stuff at Chelsea Piers at that at that time. Um, did a lot of little ice shows and and, and, and fun stuff like that. Things that um, you could do to um, to kind of keep moving forward, to keep your name out there, but also to make some money. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, Greg Mercurio, used to do a lot of scenic work at La Mama. So used to go and help him do a lot of uh, do a lot of work, uh, you know, when they had um, a lot of new n- a lot of new works that would go in there. I'd go help light them. The store remains uh, one of the best places to see uh, amazing uh, new work yeah. in the city. I mean, you know, love it. I love La Mama, and we used to out of Adelphi. We used to contract our students. We'd pay them very very well to help build scenery, to do light load ins, that sort of thing. Um, I do a lot of stuff on. The, I used to do a lot of stuff on the piers, um, a lot of staging, staging events. Bring our, bring my students with us, uh, with me, so that we could, so that they can learn and they could earn while they while mm-hmm. they while they learned. Um, 
they can they can meet people they could you know the you know there were there were no linkedins back then there was no you know i mean i think myspace was just taking off um you know the the uh your calling card was the was 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 literally that you were you were working next to somebody and they go hey are you free next week to do this so getting out there was important and was not just only important to me but it was also important that the students got out there in order to do it so that they can start putting together um, that little black book of, of, of resources. So that's how you ended up at Adelphi. Mm -hmm. How was that program structured and what specifically were you doing? So um, the first couple of years, you know, just basically doing lighting design and technical direction, we were running, uh, we were running uh, six uh, to eight main stages a year. We had uh, um, about eight black boxes running and four cabarets running a year. So there was always shows that were going on. Um, I was overseeing. I was overseeing the entire lighting department as well as uh, the build of all of those shows. It was important to me that students got an opportunity to light shows. It was important that they got behind the tech table and that they worked their way up to a main stage. Um, in the very, very beginning of the time that I was there, I lit the majority of the main stage, main stages with um, assistants and associate designers so that they can learn the craft, so that they could learn what they were doing. After taking the different lighting design courses that were offered at the university, of course, once they started to specialize, then, of course, they worked their way into lighting those main stages or lighting the, lighting the black boxes, lighting the, the cabarets. Um, and the way that's the way that BFA was structured was students earn credits, of course, in a in a in a, in a course called Research Rehearsal and Production. The kids call it RIP, <laughs> <laughs> um, and they earn credits while they were while they were working on production. So they were all assigned. They had two to three different assignments a semester. Usually, a main stage was a was an assignment where it could be. Um, an assistant lighting designer, a master electrician, a master carpenter, or a scenic artist, whatever it might be. And they would earn credits for it, and they would get evaluated and graded on that. They would also do a paper on, their, on the work that they performed so that they can do their own self-evaluation of it, and then the faculty would also evaluate them on their, on their performance so people can grow into all the different um, aspects of of whatever the job might have been, or where they could say, hey, next time I'm going to do this this way. Um, and everybody had to do everything. You know, you weren't exempt from doing um, sound if you didn't like sound. You weren't exempt from doing lighting if you didn't like lighting. The, the reason was, was because we wanted everybody, in, in terms of the collaborative environment or atmosphere of what theater is, we wanted everybody to be able to to experience all the different jobs, mm -hmm. you know, oh, you know, the whole walk a mile in a man's shoes. So, you know, you can't say, oh, the lighting guys are just, you know, all they, they come, they come in later. They, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, spent a lot of time behind a tech table teaching, um, te teaching the etiquette of about sitting behind a tech table and what it takes. And the, and, and the, the, the idea that you have to be fast the idea that you you have to know what you want before you sit down. Um, there is there is time to explore, but once the director's sitting there, um, that exploration is now you're showing them what you've painted. 
now you're showing them, you're giving them the ideas that they gave you two weeks ago for this scene are now being realized, are now, you know, there's a lot of fine brush strokes that are, or uh, broad brush strokes that are there. Now, while you're sitting there with them, you can, you can, you know, dabble a little bit. You can, you could tighten that up. You can, you know, you could tighten up your timing. You could tighten up the, the scene. You could tighten up the look, the color, whatever it might be. So um, a lot of time teaching that. But one of the things I found you can't teach is passion. And that was the hard part because it's fair. It's it. You can't teach passion, and you know the. I think the 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 students that wanted to be there were there because they wanted to be there, and they were passionate about it. But there was always, you know, there was always a, you know, someone who 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 just wasn't their heart wasn't into it. And I think it's a very hard industry if your heart's not into it to to be able to foster a person through something that maybe their heart's not into, and to tell. I think I, I think the hardest thing I ever had to do was tell a student, say, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe this isn't for you. I've your your heart's really not in it. And when you get out there, it's a really hard life if your heart's not gonna be into it. If you love what you do, if you love sitting behind that tech table at two AM, creating that awesome cue, timing it out with the music, hitting go and going, Wow, that was awesome, then this is for you. But if the if the passion's not there, you can't you can't teach it and and i i think i think there's a lot of educators out there that their passion is contagious you know what i mean and that love of what you do every day if that's contagious and it it equates through your students uh, that's awesome then you've done your job then you've more than done your job to be honest with you it's a it's a very different world between you know the business side of theater and the education side of theater so being able to bring that passion in is really, really, I think is great, you know. I used to bring them in a lot of times, I mean, at the same time that I was working for the university, I also worked as a lighting consultant uh, for uh, Robert Lorelli Associates. He's a, he's a consultant out on Long Island. Those the um, theatrical consulting for educational spaces and new theatrical installations, et cetera, right? Exactly, exactly. And he hired me in 96, it was 96, there was, he was doing a he was doing a, a massive massive project in the Philippines, and he'd asked me uh, he'd asked me to come in through a mutual friend of ours, uh, Sonny Sonnenfeld, who just recently passed away. Um, Sonny had recommended me to, to to go visit with Bob. Bob was working on this large project, and Bob needed a lot of lighting help because it was such a massive project. And I went in. and He said, "Do you know AutoCAD?" I said, "I." could probably work my way through it. I mean, this was an AutoCAD was a was the blue screen with the Curta tablet. So we did. I worked my way through it. It wasn't pretty in the beginning. But but what he was working on, he was It's hard to imagine a program more opaque than AutoCAD. You know, that, <laughs> I, I don't mean that it's hard to use. It is hard to use. But I also mean it's 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 not the sort of thing that you can just sort of pick up. You can't pick it up. It's not something you just pick up and that's what I learned very quickly. Um but what I also knew is that there were draftsmen at the university uh, that worked on campus that I can sit behind and just get a couple key commands and get started and start kind of working my way through. Um, I found that the because it was just a blue screen with a um, with a command line at the bottom, I found that the help command worked a lot. Huh. <laughs> you know? um, help underscore the. Uh, but he was working on this project in the Philippines called Phil Expo 98. 
and they were doing this massive expo on the old Clark Air Force Base. And they were the they're they're in the midst of building a thirty-five thousand seat amphitheater that was going to be completely covered by a bird air structure. Oh, oh wait, oh what? A bird air. Bird air made the structures over like the Denver Airport. Oh, I those see. tented structures, and they were commissioned to tent over this massive, massive amphitheater. Um. And this whole amphitheater sat inside of an an old radar array that was roughly a, a mile in diameter. <clears throat> well, we started laying this this space out in AutoCAD, and we quickly found out how big a mile in diameter is and how big a thirty five thousand seat amphitheater is. Because he and I laid out every single seating section, <laughs> every single seat in that space. We developed the rigging systems for it the lighting systems for it. And then we were commissioned to light the tent. So, the, so this is a function well beyond the sort of standard work of a consulting company. It is well beyond. consultant. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it was, it was a very, it was, it was tough also because it was kind of my first foray into the consulting side. So this is what I thought a theatrical consultant did. You know, they just, <clears throat> and uh, we were commissioned to light the tent we wanted to up the the president ramos who was the president of the philippines at the time um had asked us to use i can't remember the exact wording but he wanted us to use um you know philippine influence in order to light the top of the tent mm -hmm. so we had glommed onto this thing called the papanga lantern and a papanga lantern is a christmas star and a Christmas, there's there's no one that's the Christmas star. They're all kind of unique to different uh, different regions and what have you. And everybody had their own Papanga lantern, and it meant something to each region. I mean, Christmas is massively important in the Philippines. It's massive. It starts in October. You know? <laughs> um, but I didn't realize how big it was until I started doing all this research. And we, um, high end systems was just coming out with the studio color at um. that time. And I decided to take, I think it was 400 studio colors and first uplight the tent. And then we had, it was well over 100 cyber lights that had um, custom gobos. Everyone had its own custom gobo in it in order to create different facets of the Christmas of the Papanga Lantern. We, we ostensibly made a kaleidoscope of Papanga Lanterns. Um, the amount of DMX that was used was ungodly. We were using, the ETC had just come out with the Source 4 PAR, um, and we had PARs with scrollers everywhere. Um, what were you doing control-wise? Just a ton of whole hog twos? It was, a, it was was no, it was a status quo at that oh, time. Oh right, that's right. It was the whole system was designed in layers, mm -hmm. so you had a what I called the color layer, and so that was going. To, it's on its own system. You had a you had a a, a, a gobo layer, which was basically the cyber lights, and that and those one that one had multiple layers to it, um, and the reason was because the tent also had facets, so you had these huge huge facets. Um, where you had shorter throw distances, longer throw distances, where you didn't want the whole thing to moray. And mm -hmm. um, now we had we had spent a lot of time laying that out. We had flown to the Philippines, um, 
went to the Clark, we're at Clark Air Force ba- Base, multiple site surveys, um, learned very quickly that um, how AutoCAD equates space, especially a mile long space of amphitheater. Um, made a lot of calculation changes and that sort of thing. And then President Ramos was overthrown and we never got to finish the project. So there is a bunch of gear sitting somewhere in the Philippines. <laughs> um, wow. Ramos was overthrown. Um, we never, um, the, the project was halted. Uh, everybody working on the project um, was either sent back to the U.S. Um, to this day, I'm not sure if everybody's been paid yet. I highly doubt it. Um, How about you? But it was, um, I did get paid. I did. Because uh, you were under the auspices of of the company. Yep. So, Um, but we, uh, Robert Lorelli. Bob, Bob did get paid. Bob, and he's, you know, he's, uh, he's a very smart businessman. So, um, but we did, we put a lot of time, a lot of energy in it. And I think that was a big heartbreak because you, you know, the amount of work, you never got to see the finished element. Um, and, you know, there, there are times where, you know, you, you do the Google Earth and you go and you go, oh, there it is. How cool is that? But you can't see the other side of the tent. So what does it matter, right? Um, but it was, you know, there's a, that was the, my first step into, into, into theatrical consulting. I thought this is what a consultant does. <laughs> one heck of a step. I'm like, this is awesome. This is, you know. And, um, and the next one's like a high school yeah, and, where they need a rigging system. And that's and exactly what it was. The next one, the next one was, a, was a high school in Florida. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, I designed the, you know, with Bob designed, you know, we designed the lighting positions, we designed the, you know, the, the, the systems that were going in and pretty much everything that was DMX. There was very little networking that was being utilized that was, that was efficient, that was cost effective. Um, and we, you know, we went, we, we, we did that project to project, um, almost we, uh, you know, in, in, in the time that I was with Bob, we did over a hundred projects together, almost 17 wow. years of projects. Um, so you started with, with him in 2000 in what was it? 96, 96. And, um, when I, when I went to strand, I stopped working with him. And the reason was, was because I felt it was a conflict of interest, I see. you know? Um, so, uh, he, um, He's he's been a great mentor. Uh, you know the, the the amount of the amount of um, the amount of knowledge is is phenomenal, and you know one of the one of the great things is I mean we were designing theater spaces that you knew, um, you know what the next steps were. You know the um, the the you know we were we were very close to you know who's the technical director director in the space who's the lighting designer what do you you know when after we spent some time kind of laying some stuff out we would we would we'd spend a lot of time with the customer being able to talk on the theatrical side of things more than the architectural side of things which you know the the architect really only cared about where the i-beams went you know in order to support the catwalks you know kelly o'connell talked about that yeah she's from uh Young equipment sales mm-hmm. on Long Island, yeah, and you know that you know there was always a sort of like no 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 I, I want to talk to the users yeah I want to talk to the users and that's <laughs> that's exactly right you know the you know the and that's one of the things I enjoyed about consulting the um, I, I had a lot of opportunity as well to do a lot of um, um, first show in designs you know the uh, West Hampton Beach Performing Arts Center when we redid that. Um, 
I believe it was Marv, Marvin Hamlish was the opening act. Oh. And it was really kind of neat, but, you know, nobody had lit in the space before. So, you know, in comes, in comes you know, his writer and that sort of thing. And it's like, who's, who, who's going to do this? We don't have any staff to do Well, we ended up doing it. So kind of outside the auspices of what a theatrical consultant would normally do, um, we also provided a lot of technical services where we would, you know, we'd bring in, you know, I bring in a number of my students, and we would we'd pay them, and we'd, you know, we'd lamp clamp gel up all their new fixtures, tune them all up, get everything, you know, get everything in the in the positions in which they were intended to, mm-hmm. um, you know, got a rep plot up, whatever it might be, and you know, we knew that you know that rep plot, of course, would change and change into something else, but. At the same time, the you know the ten degrees were in the back of the house, <laughs> you know they didn't end up in some closet somewhere, yeah. and that was always the that was always the the problem that you ran into when you went back and you did a did a, a checkup later on because the technical director might come up to you and say, "Hey, man, I saw on the list that we're supposed to have a bunch of scrollers. Where are these things?" And you know you'd go back and you'd go through you know the you know maybe the electrical the you know one of the electrical closets and you see boxes of you know scrollers all stacked up in the back you know that never really made it to the made, made yeah. it to one of the theater wings so um you know doing a lot of that um you know bob flew me pretty much all over the world uh wherever wherever we were working whatever we were working on um to 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 do theater checkouts when i was uh it was interesting when uh Providence College was looking for a consultant. Uh, John Garrity, who was the who was who had been one of my teachers, called me and said, "Hey, do you know anybody who could consult on this?" I said, "Well, why, yes, I do." Um, and I, <laughs> so, um, I you know we went and um, and we put our bid in and that sort of thing. And they, you know, I knew the type of theater that they were teaching, so I was very in tune to. What I believe the the, co- the college's needs were, and spent a lot of time, uh, spent a lot of time with you know all the professors, the, the all the you know the designers and everything like that, really going through and creating some really cool spaces, you know a a thrust that morphed into a black box, a, you know that turned into a proscenium, um, without much without much much effort, but also keeping the technology there. Um, creating a dance space, creating a black box space that, um, based around a lot of the work and a lot of the things that they had taught, uh, that would work very well for their program. Uh, created a shop space that'd be able to feed, you know, all these different spaces, knowing that you'd have a black box going on on a Tuesday, and on that Thursday you have a main stage opening. So, um, you know, really a lot of a lot of fun. And Bob just said, "This is yours. Go." Um, and it was it was it was a it was a great learning experience. I, it was you know kind of because you're because now you're not just designing. Now you're the guy who's dealing with billable hours. Mm-hmm. I never knew. It. I mean, I never really dealt with billable hours even when I was freelancing because I just wanted to light the show. You know, yeah. and, and and so the billable hours things was was kind of was kind of. Was what am I a lawyer? Crazy. What's that? What yeah. am I a lawyer? <laughs> exactly. I'm sitting here. I got a stopwatch. It's like okay. I said yes. Okay, and I said no, and I said yes, and you know, and you're sitting there, and um, so it it was something very different to me, and I and I I quickly got it. You know, time is money. You know, I quickly got the fact that you know he needs to bill for my time there. So, 
um, but did a lot of projects with him and really, really enjoyed um, doing those. I mean, I stay in contact with him regularly. I just spoke to him the other day. Um, I was, I, you know, I saw him at, uh, you know, at, at a bad, a bad circumstance. I saw him at Sonny's, at Sonny's memorial. Um, but it was, it was, it's great to see him, you know, because we're, you know, through all these years, we've done all this, had all this, you know, new projects together. And, um, I mean, even, even down to, uh, Ruth Eckerd Hall in Clearwater, Florida, which is a really interesting project. Um, because we ended up, we, part of the design was to tunnel, to use a tunneling machine to tunnel from one side of the auditorium to the other, to link okay. the lobbies together. Oh, because the lobbies and and you know Florida, I mean every fifteen minutes it rains and then it's sunny and then, so what was happening is, you know people would load one side of the auditorium and have to make their way, across the other side of the auditorium and because it was all continental seating, it was very, it was very inefficient to load an audience, so um, we went through a renovation where we actually tunneled under the seating section, and it was really kind of interesting where you know there was you know. Uh, some interesting engineers that came in that came in to to do that and you learn a lot about things like that we put a well a, you can do that in florida there's no steam lines there's no subway there's you know, yeah, but good. there's a low water table oh you know well, is that. <laughs> <laughs> so but and that was an interesting system because it was a, a half strand half etc system um how that happened i don't know but we were brought in to make everybody work together and spent a lot of time with both companies in order to you know create interfaces and and what have you there was a front front of house intercept panel that needed to be that needed to be um kind of attended to and it everything needed to work seamlessly so we spent a lot of time um building a lot of custom and having a lot of custom bits and pieces built so that all the systems not only worked together but they worked flawlessly and seamlessly and that any electric any any road electrician could come in and figure it out like that mm-hmm. you know where you're not sitting there having to kind of dissect the house and you don't need to call the house electrician's phone every two seconds you know so a lot of interesting prod projects and it was that was a lot of fun it was a good it was a good part part of my life so you weren't with strand and phillips that long no, I in two thousand and six, two thousand and six, I got a call from Steve Carson. Steve was with Genlight at the time and had just acquired Verilite, and and the company had also just acquired Strand. And Steve was acting as the GM at the time, until they could make all the, you know, all the different moves that people had to make when that big fish eats a smaller fish, right? Mm-hmm. And we had just consulted, I was with Lorelli, we had just finished consulting on a project in Puerto Rico where the dimmers were shutting down and they were all strand dimmers that mm-hmm. kept shutting down over and over and over again. I'd gone down to the site and the dimmers were under temping. Oh. All of the air conditioning in the building was dumping into this one room. For, it was one of the main air plenums went through it. Something was open somewhere, and the room was literally a meat locker. And uh, I remember Steve called me because I wouldn't sign. I wouldn't sign off on the documents. I wouldn't sign off on the project, which me- meant Strand didn't get paid. And it was it was a considerable amount of dimmers. And um, Steve called me and said, "So why aren't you 
signing off on this document. He goes, everything's working. We checked everything out. I said, well, I said, the dimmer room's actually starting to under temp now that they've turned the air conditioning system on and we have a problem. So we're trying to get the air conditioning system fixed, but also I need to know what's going on with these dimmers. And one, are we still going to warrant them? Is, you know, all of this, all of these mm-hmm. questions. Because I'm concerned that I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, I'm going to sign off. We're going to sign off on a project and sit, call it good when it, it might not be. Well, Steve kept calling me back. I kept holding my ground. I kept holding my ground. And, you know, through a couple of weeks of time, um, the problems started to fix themselves. You know, the, 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 the HVAC contractor came in and checked it out. Uh, Stranded had, had flown somebody down to the site. We had gone back down to the site and done a, another checkout. And um, at that point, I signed off on the, on the, on the project. And... Uh, Steve calls me back and offered me a job. That's cool. And I said, I said, I said, I don't quite understand. I said, I've been fighting you tooth and nail. And he said, well, something, if you take this job, something you'll learn from me is that I, I test people like this. (laughs) And I went, oh, great. Well, I was at a point in my life where, you know, we had, um, had a three-year-old at that point. And my wife, both my wife and myself were working at the university. We were both working at Adelphi. And she was a conference coordinator, so she worked nights as well. We used to hand the baby back and forth to each other as we were either going into a gig or going home or whatever. And Katie used to hang out, and my daughter used to hang out with, with me all the time at the theater. She was really good at pressing a go button. Um, sometimes, sometimes more often than you should, but, you know. Um, but I realized that going home at 2 a.m., and going back to work at 8 a.m. was not something that, not a way to, to raise a child. And especially working every weekend. And so, you know, kind of swallowing hard and saying, you know what, I'm going to leave leave my life at the university, um, leave my life of consulting, leaving the students. It was it was a hard decision, but I was still going to, to be in the lighting business. I was still going to get to do light. You know, I still got to do what I love doing, you know, the, 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 do the thing that I was passionate about. And, um, Steve, Steve offered me a position. He said, he, he goes, I want you to be a regional manager. And I go, what's a regional manager? <laughs> what, what does a regional manager do? He goes, well, will you sell? I, I said, I, I don't know how to sell. What, what, what um, will somebody help me? Will somebody train me? Well, absolutely. No problem. We will have, you know, um, we'll have, uh, um, the, the, the national sales manager. He'll teach you everything. Don't worry. You're going to be great at this. And I took a leap of faith and I, I, I trusted Steve and I, and, and rightly so. And I walked into the New York office, um, the New York strand office. Um, and, um, I drove in with my friend, uh, Chris Beck, who is the who's now on, a, I believe he's on a Book of Mormon. And Chris and I have been friends for a long, long time. In fact, we knew each, we met each other back in Mike Scoville days. Oh, wow. So, All right. you know, and um, so Chris and I rode in, a, rode in the office together. We rode in the city together. And I walked into the, walked into the office, you know, nice new shiny laptop, you know, new case, you know, everything ready to go. Walked into the office and the national sales manager comes up to me and says, uh, Pete, how you doing? I'm so-and-so. By the way, I'm resigning. Ugh. And my heart sank. And all of a sudden I got, you know, all the doubts fly through. You know, you start to want to pick up the phone to call the old job. And 
you know, I just remember. I, I knew went, this was going to happen. Yeah, I knew something. This is not going to be good. And I just remember going home that evening to my wife going, I think I made a huge mistake. I, I, I think I made a, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And it was really great because Steve called me that night and he said, Pete, don't worry. We, we, we got you covered. We got your back. Stay home this week and learn all of the product. Learn every aspect, every nuance of every product that we make. So I said, okay. Well, staying home that week didn't really turn into much because I got a call the next day um, that from one of our dealers that said, you need to fly out here right now <laughs> because we're having problems and because your, bo- your former boss went to a competitor. And oh. they know everything about all the projects we're working on. Well, so I flew out. I went to see Paul, met Paul Vincent uh, over at Vincent Lighting. He's a really wonderful guy if you don't know him. And Paul sat down and told me what was going on and what to do and how to do it and that sort of thing. And I learned a lot from him in a, in a very short amount of time. And um, he's become a really great friend over, over the years. But one of the things my sales tactic or my sales tactic became wasn't a sales thing. It was going out and teaching people about the product. And here's the, how the product can help you. And here's why you need this piece. And oh, by the way, hey, this one's not right for you. So you, this is not right. You know, maybe you go and do something with these guys because we don't have what you need. Um, and I was just completely honest with the with our customers. I went, I went out. I showed them what the product did. Um, I worked with architects and engineers and, and and theatrical consultants to show them. You know. Or, or, or lead them through, you know, how you set up a system, how this goes together, why this works this way. And it seemed to work. I mean, people, people liked the ability to be able to mold that system the way they wanted to or what have you with the information that I'd given them. So in, after a very short time at sales, I think it was probably two years, I got another call, another Steve Carson call. And he was like, you're going to come be a product manager in Dallas. And it was because at that time, at that, you know, while I was selling, I was doing a lot of product work. I was coming back to the guys in R&D and saying, guys, hey, you know what? I know you made the patch panel here, but when you do this, you know, is anybody working with this? I said, look what happens when you patch this or you, you, you start to stack pins or you start to do this or you, you know, um, you try to do a rotation with this fixture. It doesn't work that way. You know, I said, it might work well in your engineering model. It might work well in the bench, but this is not how you hang a fixture. So things like that. I was doing that a lot with pretty much all the product that was there. Um, we had come out with a little product that didn't last very long. It didn't really catch on called Light Rack. It was a, it was a 240-pound, 48-way IGBT dimmer rack. Oh. It was tiny. I okay. Mean, at 240 pounds so we were you know hey this will fit on the jump easily you know you'll you'll be able to get this in places you don't get out of the dimmer racks you could fly this thing all this great stuff when i had done this all this research and all this and 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 what have you for um for disney because they were looking at how do they save money on a a bus and truck Mm -hmm. i'm like look you gotta there's less cable here there's less this here. You don't have to hump all the socko. You don't, you know, in your dimmer racks pretty much can go where you, the fixtures it's are. It's almost attributed dimming because it, it's so small. It is. 
and it was tiny. And it actually used all the ideas of distributed dimming that Gordon Perlman had, had done with the IGBTs for ET, and then it became eventually Strand, right? Strand product. The backpack dimmer, right? Yeah, backpack, then for Strand, turned into a light pack. That IGBT went into uh, a raceway called R21, and then that went into a, that went into something else, and then that went into this little rolling rack. But if I remember correctly, the first product that used it was the VL1000, right? That is correct. Yep, the VL1000 was the first one to use that IGBT. And that showed its roadworthiness, what it can do, and how it can do it. Um, that product was put into, well, that technology was put into about nine other dimming products. Um, because of what it can do. Um, like the L500. Exactly. <laughs> um, but this light rack was this neat little thing, and I'd done this thing, whole thing for Disney um, because they were looking to buy about 100 racks. And I, I'd done, I actually took, it was funny, I did a Vectorworks layout of the inside of a truck and showed how the racks would stack how many cable hampers you'd need, you know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, 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 I, and, I, and I presented that to him. This and is they, your current 96 racks. This is ours. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then I got the call from Steve, do you want to be a product marketing manager? And I'm like, well, what's a product marketing manager? <laughs> and um, so he, um, he explained to me that he wanted to move me and my family to Dallas and that I would be in charge of all Strand and it would then be eventually Celicon product and you know i would run I'd, I'd 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 push the engineering teams and i'd write the specifications i'd meet with designers consultants what have you um meet with end users in order to to build the next thing you know whatever it was to fill the roadmap to 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 round out the product offering to to create um the next best lighting thing um and you know that so so Steve Steve moved me to Dallas, uh, moved my family and I to Dallas, and um, I realized very quickly that a product manager was so much more than what he said it was. Um, he had given me the bullet point abridged version of what it was, and I mean the whole thing starts with market research. You know the whole thing starts with what's out there. What how are people using product? Why are people using the product? this way versus that way um is there a need for a you know a, a something else that does that 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 does that same thing that gives the same result um do these things need to be more efficient do they need to be brighter and i'm just talking about lighting instruments and then you get into things like oh well, how are people using consoles and you know how are people programming and and what markets are we selling into and how are those markets using desks and then you start you start looking at dimming and dimming trends or relays or, you know, how much smarter does my power now to, now need to be because LEDs are coming on the forefront and I'm going to need to not only have something that has dimming capabilities for today, but switching capabilities for tomorrow. Or, or, and, um, you know, do I, do I need to start also looking at my carbon footprint of what I'm producing for, for those racks themselves? Um, I need to start looking at dimming efficiencies or I need to start looking at, you know, the, 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 the thermal that I'm actually putting into a space. So all of a sudden, you know, the, that, that research becomes huge. And that's not even taking the first step into what that PM is going to do. So then taking, taking all that and looking at the overall product portfolio 
and what can fulfill the, those needs of those customers? Do we have something that can do that? Um, if it, usually the answer is no, because then the customer would be using that in order to do that. So now you start writing a, spe- a detailed specification about what that thing is, how it works, how it goes together, what it might do. You know, all the different. You know, you start dialing in all the needs of it, and then sit down with an engineering group, who you know sometimes has some theatrical experience, but most of the time, you know, they're 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 spe- you know specific specifically software engineers, optical engineers, and that sort of thing, you know, where they're all focused on everything from, you know, squeezing, you know, squeezing every last photon through that gate to, you know, um, dimming curve efficiencies on maybe an LED product. So you spend a lot of time being the voice of the customer and what that customer is looking for and putting all of these measurements to something called a CTQ which is a critical to quality measurement of what does the customer want and being able to give the an engineering group something that's measurable for that what does the customer want right my favorite ctq is um fanless uh yes is that a ctq or is quiet a ctq and if fanless is a ctq what's measurable about it because there's no fan right so is that is that just a check mark or do you sit there and you look at that critical to quality measurement and you say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to make something that's, you know, imperceivable to the human ear that lasts five times as long as the as the LED source that's going into it needs absolutely no maintenance over that time. Does that fulfill the quiet CTQ? If it's, say, I don't know, 10 decibels or under 10 decibels and it's a quarter million hour fan. You know, so you start looking at things like that and then you start again teaching. So now you you've gone through all of the specification part of this and now you need to teach all the, the engineering group what this product is gonna do. And now you need to start doing the math that we weren't none of us were really taught in college <laughs> of, you know, how, you know, start relating all of the all of the different uh um, all the different man hours that are utilized in putting that thing in, what the return on investment to the company is going to be, what the return on investment in time is going to be, and all the all the different fun things, so that a management group then could look at it and go, no, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but you know, we we all know because the research we've done and that the industry needs this, and this this is something that will sell or whatever it might be, and the sales group is signed off on it. And once you once you reveal the product then it's your job to go out and show the product and teach everybody about the product. And there's this, there's this great story a number of years ago. Um, the, the very last time that LDI was in Orlando, we were unveiling a, a new product called the PL four, which was a led ellipsoidal. And we were, we were showing it in its raw format. Because what we wanted people to do, and we had a back room to do this, is we had some poster boards of what the design of the thing looked like. And we wanted people to come in with Sharpies and and say, you know what, don't put this here, put this over here and move the power cons down here because putting the power cons here don't make, doesn't make sense. And, and having the lighting community help design the light. Yeah. Well, at the same time, we were also unveiling the 3015LT. And we had that also in prototype format. And the day before LDI opened, so did the ceiling above our space with a deluge of water. Oh. 
So down on top of all this prototype type uh, product flowed, you know, thousands and thousands of gallons of water. And I remember George Masick and I looking at each other going, we're doomed. You know, show opens in 12 hours. All these prototype things, they're shot. And one of the best things that could have happened did. Half of the people that had heard of what had happened came to the room, donning hair dryers, towels, anything that they could. A number of technicians from PRG, from Vincent Lighting, all these guys showed up with road cases. We dropped the rig down to road cases. The venue opened up every air wall imaginable. We moved the entire room from one side of the venue to the other. We took apart every mover. We took apart every console. We cleaned everything up best we could. We, we, we wrote off the fixtures that were no longer, no longer happy. We put the rig back up, and at 11 o'clock that day, we opened the room that next day. And I remember George and I sitting there fighting over who was going to have to do their presentation first. Because <laughs> we had both worked all night long, we were both exhausted, and there's a line of people outside to see both of the products. Well, I mean, it went off without a hitch. Everything went great. People helped design the fixture and what it was going to look like and how things were going to go together and all that stuff. But it was, you know, as much as there's a lot of competitors out there, there were a lot of people that were competitor that are competitors that realized that these guys are in trouble and we're going to go help them. And that's the type of community we work in. You know, that's the type of community that, and that's, you know, seeing that on both, like I said, back on the education side of things and now on the, on the commercial side of things, I thought it was incredible. I thought it was really incredible because it was this great camaraderie. Um, you know, people didn't care if they were, you know, some people were wearing suits and ties. They were rolling their sleeves up and, you know, they were getting into a fixture and they were wiping it down and they were cleaning it up. And, and it didn't matter who it was. It was it was a really great experience. It's amazing. Yeah. So the product management side of thing has been really gratifying. It's a, it's a whole different place to play with light, to work with light, to work with people who work with light. Thanks for listening to the first part of our interview with Pete Porchetta. On the next episode, we'll have the second half of our interview with him. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Casting Light Podcast. Visit us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com. You can use the contact form there to let us know what you think, and you can find all of our previous episodes there. We're also on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast and on Twitter at Podcasting Light. Our theme music is Color Me Dead by The Lame Drivers. You can learn more about them at lamedrivers.com. The Casting Light Podcast is a production of Casting Light Incorporated. I'm your host, Jason Merritt. Thanks for downloading, and have a good show.